Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. You are tuning in today for the story of Tabitha Trent Kavanaugh, a young married woman with a two-year-old daughter who was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in January of 2017. Let me share a couple reasons I'm doing this interview. The first, there's probably not a soul out there that hasn't either had cancer or known someone who has. It's an epidemic in our modern world. My grandmother died of cancer, my mother fought breast cancer, and my son has leukemia. I have another friend who's fought phenomenally hard for years, and she doesn't have much time left. I'm sure that you have a similar list. Second, Tabitha from the beginning has been very open about her journey. She aligned herself with the Colorectal Cancer Alliance and she volunteered in their buddy program, always coming to this space of helping and sharing her story. She's been open from the beginning of this journey so that she could help others with questions or fears about the process of battling cancer. And she's been proactive about sharing her story of grit. So she's gonna do that with us today. And the third reason is because her advocacy and choice to shift her mindset from one of fear and denial to positivity and supporting others who were going through this as she was, gives us a story of one woman's choice to create something powerful from something that could be horrible and scary. So stay tuned for her interview, her story, and listen in on this amazing and inspirational attitude and journey that she's had. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Tabitha, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Lori, hi. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me today. I couldn't be more thrilled to be here to share my story and hopefully inspire some people along the way. I would like to start out with who you were before this diagnosis in 2017. Just give us a a quick clip of who was Tabitha? Where was your mindset as the hero on this journey? Who were you before this giant dragon appeared? I like to call Tabitha before cancer, Tabitha BC. That's cute. (laughs) It's funny looking back, I almost can't remember who I was before my diagnosis. And not that I let my cancer journey define me, but it was such a pivotal point in my life that I feel like I tried to block out who I was before. So it's funny you should ask that question. I really think that Tabitha BC before cancer was a person that would let negativity creep into her life more often. And I think people struggle with at the end of their day, someone says, how's your day? And you might point out the negative things instead of the positive. And so, you know, the Tabitha after cancer, I feel like is a person who really lets challenges excite her. You know, I, I look forward to those types of moments in my life because I know that even though they might not look perfect on the outside, there are things that are going to shape me, things that are going to teach me lessons, 
and ultimately be a blessing. I found that my cancer journey was a huge blessing in that way. I love that for someone so young that you have this type of insight because to be able to see and know that the challenges that come to us can actually be gifts that hold great learning and great insight for us is such a space of wisdom. I'm so impressed that that you know that, that you get that. So you were a young, you were young married. Your daughter then was two years old. I, I think she might be older now, but you had just been married for a couple of years. So yeah, I was 31 when I was diagnosed at the tail end of 31. My daughter was almost two. I had been married actually for about four months. My husband and I had been together as a couple for about four years, uh, four and a half years prior but we had only been married um, since August, the August before. So I had been struggling with some health issues before then that were going on diagnosed. I spent about a year visiting my doctor multiple times with no answers or answers that didn't make sense. So clear blood scans, um, things that just didn't point to any one direction. And after about a year of searching, one week before my wedding, I ended up in the ER for, um, you know, some of the symptoms I was having and it was scary. And a few days before my wedding, I was having a colonoscopy. So it was very eye opening, and I, I didn't even know what my wedding day would then look like if I would even be healthy enough to enjoy it at all. Um, luckily I was, <laughs> we had a beautiful day and I put all of that out of my mind for that day and just lived in the moment. Um, so, well, yeah. what, what was your mindset like did, well, and your husband's mindset when you're, I mean, you're dealing with this type of diagnosis and you're starting out in a space that's usually so hopeful of this bright, cherry future. And did you have a cancer diagnosis before your wedding? I did not. So it took about four months after until I was diagnosed. I, I went, in, went in for a procedure because oddly enough, my colonoscopy came back benign they told me I didn't have cancer. So, you know, we felt at peace and we were just wanting to move forward in a proactive and preventative way. So we scheduled a surgery, um, a procedure that was to happen in two parts. And when I went in for the first part of that surgery, which was supposed to last about 50 minutes, five hours later, I woke up um, to having had an entire colon resection and, um, you know, the doctor feeling like there was something suspicious. And then two weeks later, he called me and um, it was stage three colon cancer diagnosis. How did you feel? <laughs> well, I'll never forget where I was. I, you know, two weeks out of surgery, a major surgery, I was still recovering. Um, my sister-in-law had taken my daughter and I to the pediatrician for my daughter and I was sitting in the waiting room, you know, just like I was anxious because I knew the call would be coming any day and I just didn't know when. And I was sitting there. I got the call. I excused myself and walked out. And I, I remember my surgeon telling me that it was cancer. And I remember him not telling me right up front that it was stage three. And I, I said, OK, well, what stage is it? And he said stage three. And I remember nervously laughing and just saying like, oh, well, that sounds bad. Like, that's bad, isn't it? And um, he just, you know, continued to explain a little bit about what was what the next steps were. And for me, the next steps were chemo. So it was it was a whirlwind. And I just remember hanging up with him and 
I think I, I walked back inside to see my sister-in-law and I tried to keep it together because I was in the waiting room of, a, of my daughter's doctor. And I just, I started to breathe a little heavy. I started to almost hyperventilate, just not knowing. It was just, it was a very scary waiting period. Um, and then I proceeded to start making some phone calls because it, it just felt natural to do that. I didn't want to wait to see my husband. And oddly enough, I called him while he was on top of fixing a roof. So probably not the best place to tell your husband that you have cancer, but hey. <laughs> was there fear? Was, did you automatically just say, I'm going to tackle this and be as positive possible? Or were you afraid? Were, were you angry? Were you, what was that emotional path like? I don't remember being angry. I was definitely afraid. And in that moment, I think it was all the thoughts swirling through your head. Like, will I see my daughter not graduate from high school, but will I see her graduate from kindergarten? Um, and wanting to be there and fearing that that might now change and that I might not be there. My, my daughter might grow up without a mother. I think that was one of my main fears in the beginning, but I immediately switched that to, I need to use this for good. Something good, no matter what the end result is, something good has to come out of this along the way. So I remember standing in uh, my sister-in-law's kitchen, just telling her, I need to share my story. I don't want to do it for a selfish reason. I don't want to do it so people feel sorry for me. Um, I don't want it because of this, any crazy attention that might come along with it. I want it because I feel like so many other people out there are either battling cancer or maybe they're a caregiver and they, they're watching a loved one battle this ugly disease. Maybe they don't know what to do or they don't know who to turn to. Maybe someone is having symptoms and they don't know that they should be getting a colonoscopy. So these were all things that were running through my brain and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it, the good, the bad, the ugly from top to bottom. And that's exactly what I did. So what was the good, the bad, and the ugly? What was that journey like? You started out on chemo immediately? I did. Uh, about two weeks after my diagnosis, I saw my oncologist for the first time. And about seven days later, I started chemo. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, let's take a, a pre-chemo, you know, they have like a baby moon or a honeymoon. It was like a chemo moon. Let's take a pre-chemo trip and just unwind and enjoy it because I know this is going to be the last time we can do something like that for a while. Well, my oncologist said, okay, well, we'll see you next week. So I didn't have time to do that. I didn't have time to even really prepare myself. It was just sort of diving in head first. And um, I just remember thinking, I want this to be over with because the hardest part was waiting. I think that was the part I was most fearful of. I thought, well, while I'm waiting, this cancer is just in my body. And what, like, what am I doing? I need to be doing something proactive to, to make sure it doesn't spread or, you know, get worse than it, than it already was. So I think that's kind of where my mind was in the beginning. Um, and, you know, it started out, I guess, normal. I didn't really have any crazy expectations because I'd never been through chemo before. And I, I, did not Google this ever. Um, people in my family did. I chose to not do that because I didn't want to see what could happen. I just wanted to live my own journey and not have all those things in my mind. I knew I needed to block those out to create that positive space in my, in my mind. So what was chemo like? At first, um, 
Well, like it was pretty bad. <laughs> um, it, it got me right away and it's not like that for everyone, but it did. It, it got me my first chemo trip. I ended up at home. I got dehydrated. Um, I got really sick and I landed myself back in the hospital two days later. So it was not a first positive experience, but it sort of shaped the way for the rest of my journey. And I knew that there were just certain things I needed to do along the way, like drink enough water. That was something that I was so bad at because chemo changed the taste in my mouth. It made me have a glass, a swallowing glass feeling when I would drink anything remotely above room temperature, even room temperature water was difficult. So some of those things, it just took getting used to like anything else. Um, but it's definitely something I don't wish on anyone. And I, I'm grateful that it was an option. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's one of the, the things that helped save my life, but it was a difficult, a difficult thing to go through. Well, I've heard that. Um, and I watched my mom go through it so that watching someone go through chemo, it just, you know, it takes you to the brink of death. It almost kills you itself in order to kill off those cells and so that you can sort of regenerate them. But from my experience of watching that, it's really, really horrible because you, you know, you can see on the outside, you've got the loss of hair, you've got the, you know, the, the differences to circulation in your hands and your feet, the, the taste, you know, all of these things that happen to you and the pain and the sickness and the, um, it's a hell all its own from what I understand. You're, you're um, being very gentle with your description of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to scare people too much because if chemo is an option for you, everyone has to gauge whether that's right for them or not. But I don't want people to think that it's something they shouldn't go through then just because they're scared of doing it. Because again, I, I knew that I needed to make my decisions and be okay with those decisions without regret, regardless of the outcome. So I knew that I was throwing myself in hundred percent going through chemo. And I knew that I had to do it, even if the outcome wasn't what I wanted or what my family may have wanted, I knew that I at least had to try. Um, so you, you made this decision and you start moving forward with it. What were the, what were the main obstacles? You know, that might seem like an obvious question, but what were the main difficult places that you had to persevere through or the main obstacles, whether they were emotional or physical or whatever, that were a part of that journey? That's where I had to really channel and shift my mindset, um, channel that grit and find that place of positivity because I realized along the way that my body could do whatever my mind said it could. Mm. So if my mind told me that I could get up off the couch, even though my body physically didn't want to do that, and there were days where I spent three to four days in bed five days in a row where I hadn't showered, which gross. I know people out there are probably like, ew, but imagine not even feeling like your body can move. Like you are just so nauseous. So just not even yourself. It's like an outer body experience. It doesn't even feel like you, but it's just so, so just terrible that, um, so, I mean, that in itself was its own obstacle just every time because you would go through chemo and two weeks later do it all over again. And a, about a week into it, you'd start feeling a little bit better. So you maybe would have 
four to five days of feeling, you know, quote unquote normal before you had, you knew what you were getting yourself into. You knew the next time you went back, it was going to be the same thing. And actually with this type of chemo, it was cumulative. So it was worse um, every time. The thing that comes to my mind with that is how courageous that is, because whenever you do something that's terribly painful, you know, obviously we're programmed to let's not go there again. You know, you do everything you can to stay away from something that causes you pain. And so to have to do something painful and then know that in two weeks you've got to do it again and then you've got to do it again and then you've got to do it again. That's wow. That's courage. I never thought it would end. (laughs) I remember, um, someone giving me the advice to just take it one at a time instead of saying I have you know 12 left or I have 11 left I just started saying okay one more one more one more and before I knew it I was at my final final chemo treatment and um it was crazy and now it just seems like a blur it seems like something that I didn't actually go through but something I know I don't want to do again (laughs) sure you know I I think that that's great advice for any life challenge. So whether you're dealing with cancer or whether you're dealing with divorce or whether you're dealing with any any challenge that comes up to you to take that one day at a time, you know, one step at a time. Can, can I handle the next five minutes? Can I handle the next day? Because when we're doing hard things and you look at the whole picture of what's hard, that can overwhelm you and just cause you to shut down immediately. But when you take it in those bite-sized pieces, that's fabulous advice because we can, we can do hard things one minute at a time. Well, that's so funny. You should say that because I was just about to reiterate that we can do hard things. And this journey taught me that. And it also taught me what's not hard because this was hard working out, not hard, getting mm-hmm. up early, not hard. So it really does redefine what hard looks like. (laughs) I love that. Seriously, that's great advice. And we don't talk about it enough because, you know, there's so much that we take for granted and anything that makes us a little uncomfortable, like, oh, that's so hard. But when you actually know what hard is, (laughs) it puts things in perspective, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So um, you talk about challenging your inner grit to find your great. Um, Expound on that a little bit, will you? Tell me more. Sure. So during my journey, as you can imagine, you know, I had to dig deep to find something that was going to keep pushing me to keep going back to put this poison in my body. And I think it all started with me really defining my why. And when I was able to define my why, that's when I was really able to channel this inner grit, this inner like you know, tough girl, um, tough person just to get to the other side. And I found that when I was able to do that consistently over and over again, that when I got to the end of this, that was what I consider my great, you know, I channeled my grit. And at the end, I and actually more before the end, you know, along the way, I found my great. And it just led me to this better place on the other side of, you know, something so tragic, something that could have been much more tragic than it ended up being. So what was your why? Well, my why is, is my daughter for sure. First and foremost, I mean, my why is wanting to be here for her. You know, she needs her mama. And, um, I, I just, that was driving me the entire time. So of course, you know, I, I love my husband. I love my family. And there are so many reasons Um, You know, my support system was one I could have never imagined 
in a million years, the support from people I knew, but much more with support from strangers. People sort of came out of the woodworks and supported our family last year and beyond. And it, it was just, it was a real, a real blessing. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I, I find that often that's a part of people's stories where you don't realize necessarily how much people love you or how good people are in the world until you're put in that space. And that ends up being part of the big lesson. Um, for instance, and I hope my, my parents don't mind me sharing this, but when my mom was going through cancer, um, my mom and dad aren't big with public displays of affection or anything. And, you know, they've been together for, gosh, I think they just had their 50 year anniversary. I think that was what we celebrated. And until my mom got cancer, I never really saw my dad show as much emotion around it, but he, he would cry and he would, you know, step up and take care of her and lots of things that as the, um, typical older generational male, that wasn't something that those were not displays of affection that we saw much, but once she was dealing with that, and I think it was interesting to her too, because I don't think she had seen that kind of display from him. And so it actually was a a cementing time in their relationship because it, it brought out emotion in him and showed, showed her his depth of, of caring and concern and, and willingness to serve and take care of her. And I know that there were other people too that stepped up that you didn't expect that did things for you. And the kindness of the people in the cancer centers of, you know, knitting beanies to keep people's heads warm and, you know, just lots of little things about community and people stepping up and caring that maybe you didn't know was there that, that turns out to be an unexpected boon in the difficult journeys. It's so true. And I'm so glad to hear that happened. And we often wonder, why do we wait until something like that happens? And we all do it. We all wait until someone passes before we're realizing, oh, we really should just make that phone call to someone to tell them that, that we love them and that we appreciate them. Um, and so I feel like I was I was a spontaneous person before, but now I've really redefined that and not in a risky way or anything like that, but just knowing that I need and I want to make the most of my minutes. And so now it's important that I'm intentional with that. And I think that's what it comes down to is really being intentional with your moments because you're, you're able to see things more clearly, I think, and your perspective changes. Um, and on the flip side, you know, sometimes people will go the other way. They hear, Oh, someone has cancer and they don't know what to say. So they don't say anything at all. And I remember my neighbor coming up to me about a month in and saying, I'm so sorry. I haven't said anything to you yet. I didn't know what to say. And I just remember we both sort of started getting emotional. And I remember thinking, it's okay. It's okay. But that's been sort of something that I've explained to people along the way is if you don't know what to say, that's okay. Tell them cancer sucks. I'm so sorry that you have to go through this, but please let me know what I can do. Sometimes it's as simple as that. You don't have to say anything, um, you know, that will transform their entire situation in that moment. But a, a small comment like that, seemingly small to you might actually transform their life in that moment. 
So on this podcast at the end, I usually throw out a challenge, but the challenge I will throw out today right now because it applies is listeners take a minute and think about who in your life that you love and care about and you haven't told them lately. You know, let's not put it off. Let's take today as soon as you're done listening to this podcast and pick up your phone and make a phone call and love bomb somebody. Let them know, you know, even profusely, just really dump it on and say, let them know how much you love them or appreciate them, um, whatever your authentic feelings are. But the people, oftentimes we, um, we think the people that we love know that because we're interacting with them, because we're doing things for them. But oftentimes, unless, well, always, can, can you ever have somebody say too much, you, you know, give you too much appreciation or let you know that they care about you? Those things lift and boy and build relationships like nothing else. So don't put that off. Choose somebody. Just choose one person today to do that for. In closing, Tabitha, tell us about your favorite quote, Ezra 10.4. Yeah, so this quote I discovered, in the, toward, oddly enough, towards the beginning of my cancer journey last year, and it has stayed with me faithfully this entire time and will continue to, um, I continue to share it. And even for those people out there who might not be um, what you might call religious um, or whatever you might be, I think that this applies to everyone. Um, arise for it is your task and we are with you be strong and do it and I just wanted to explain and break it down very quickly so people can really understand it seems straightforward but um, I find in that breaking it down it's easier to kind of comprehend so when it says arise for it is your task what it means is rise up the time is now this is up to you and you are in control and we are with you but don't worry you're not alone your journey requires community. Ask for help and we will not leave you stranded. And the last part, be strong and do it. It's just be strong. It is what it says it is. Find your grit and go do the damn thing. <laughs> so do you have any pointers for people? How do you find that grit when you're in that hard place? One of the things that um, has really been on my mind lately because, you know, within the last week, I think there's been three different celebrities that have committed suicide, people who have everything, people who are successful, people who have done great things, and yet they are finding that, you know, that there's not enough hope in their life to even continue on. And we hit these hard places. I, I feel really strongly that the greatest war going on in our cultures and our lives right now is absolutely mindset. It's fighting the battles against depression and hopelessness. And that's an everyday battle for for everybody. That's what I think we're up against. And so everybody, whether it's an illness or whether it's that battle or, you know, all the millions of battles we all have going on, how do you how do you channel that grit when you're in the really low places? How do you just pull out that grit? I think you just have to remember that in that moment, it's temporary. No matter what the end result is, what you're going through in that moment really is just a blip in time. So I think it's important to really evaluate your why. I think when you can evaluate your why and you know that there's something there pushing you, whatever that might be, that's a really good starting point. Um, 
So evaluating your why and just understanding that your story could help someone else. So if for nothing else, if you're just thinking I could share my story and I think along the way, you'll find that it's not only inspirational to other people, but also inspirational and therapeutic to you. But um, at the end of the day, I just want people to know that they should feel okay asking for help. And my cancer journey taught me I needed to ask for help. I was so bad at that before. And now I've realized it's okay. It's okay. And, you know, I've always said cancer requires community because it does. And I think that where we are right now, it's so vital that we be the light for other people. And, you know, we control ourselves, but at the same time, um, appearances aren't everything as we have seen recently. I just think, you know, what could you do to be kind? Kindness is free and your kindness could really make all the difference and in someone's life. Absolutely. I am a very independent person, so it's hard for me to ask for help too. So I really, you know, I'm aligned with what you're saying about, you know, sometimes it is what, you know, it's, it's hard to show weakness or hard to, um, to ask other because you don't want to put them out or you, you know, you don't want to be a bother. You don't want to be that person. And, you know, there's pride involved in all of those things, but my, my basement flooded, you know, there was really heavy furniture. I have this classic log furniture, but it is not movable by me and not being married. There's not, you know, I don't have any muscle around here. So I had to ask for help. I had to reach out and ask for people to take apart the furniture and then to actually move the furniture. And then I had to, you know, get help with fans and ozonators and, you know, everything. And then I had to hire people to restretch carpets and, and then I had to, you know, get help with sprinklers and, you know, anyway, there was a lot of asking for help and it wasn't comfortable, but in my, um, church group, we had been talking about that a lot. How, how can we take care of each other and how can, you know, how can you take care of other people and how can they take care of you? And, and the thing that kept coming up was let people know what you need. And there is that real sense of community in doing that. And I found that even though it was uncomfortable to ask that I have actually solidified a lot of relationships in the last couple of weeks and also gained respect for um, different people who were so willing to stand up and show up and take action and give of themselves that without those interactions, you, I mean, it, it's actually like you said in the beginning, we'll tie this back around. They're gifts. They're, they're gifts from other people um, in giving of themselves and in building relationships with them because of their kindness toward you. And, and I really think it's a two-way street too, because people who are serving, and you know this from when you are serving, that that there's benefit in that, you know, we, we gain when we serve, when we do acts of kindness for people and we gain when people do acts of kindness for us. So although it's an uncomfortable space to navigate sometimes in the end, it's, it, it's a present that we unwrap that has beautiful things inside. You took the words right out of my mouth. We all have, (laughs) we all have gifts. And I think that's another reason if you're feeling down right now, think about, where your passions are, where your creativity might be, what is inside of you that, you know, you can give um, to others. Because I think in giving, we are rewarded um, far beyond anything that, you know, you might even be able to see right now. 
And sometimes we are the people giving and sometimes we're the people who need to be given to. And that's okay. There's a time and season for both. And you have to be able to do both. You have to be able to give and also take. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that, like you said, people, some people are givers. Uh, My mother-in-law, prime example, she is a giver and she's so wonderful at it. She just loves to help and give. And I think it's important to remember that that fills her cup. So you might not want to ask somebody, but if that's what their gift is, is giving, then you're actually, you know, you're filling their cup too. And, and you're getting help at the same time. So, (laughs) so Tabitha, take us to, um, how did things turn out with your, um, with the cancer? Did you go into remission? Where, where are things now? I'll start by saying I won't leave people in suspense. I am currently um, what they call no evidence of disease. Some people might call that being in remission. Woohoo! Yeah, woohoo! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, so I'm very, very grateful to say that, you know, my last few scans have been clear and um, I'll have another one in a few months from now. So congratulations. How long did it take for you to to go through all of that and come out on the other side? So chemo started February 7th of 2017. And as of, um, let's see, October of last year was my first clear scan. And my second clear scan was just a few months ago. So I would say it's pretty much come full circle, um, you know, and I'll just have follow-up appointments probably for the, you know, the foreseeable future. But, um, but so yeah, about eight or nine months until you got to ring the chemo bell. Yeah. So I rang the chemo bell last July, July 11th of 2017 was my last day of chemotherapy. And it was a beautiful, glorious day. I, uh, I remember being so nervous that day walking and it just felt different. You know, it felt felt weird. I knew that people weren't going to be watching over me every two weeks anymore. Um, but I was so blessed to have my family there to have all of the doctors and nurses and the whole team, because it is a team of people that take care of you and you get to know them. And I remember standing there and I, I gave a little thank you speech before I rang it just to really thank my whole team for how kind they had been to um, my family and myself every single time we had to come in and, um, I rang it and I, I, I rang it a little bit too hard. I, I broke it, <laughs> but, um, it was, it was a light moment, uh, all around. It so. was all, it was all that grit you had mustered. You were stronger <laughs> than you knew. It was, it was, it was, it was a funny moment. It, I'll never forget that. <laughs> well, congratulations on a difficult fight. Well fought. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us, Tabitha. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for um, your good spirit and the the light that you bring into the world. Thank you. It was truly an honor and a pleasure to be able to share my story and to learn a little bit more about you in the process. Thank you. Absolutely. realities are a creation of our mindset. I know that it's hard to take full responsibility for that, especially when things kick our feet out from under us. Sometimes it's hard for me to control my mindset. I totally get it. The reason I understand it is because sometimes like I know that I can and I know that I should, um, but sometimes it's really hard. And 
the one thing that I want to that I want to say here is that I would never suggest that everyone who gets a horrible disease should simply bounce up and away and shift their mindset into power and positivity because there's certainly a time for mourning, for fear, for anger, for all those other emotions that are such a big part of illness, especially terminal illness. We are totally justified to feel all those emotions and more. So, you know, one of the things that I think about or that has crossed my mind is that as I share these stories of people's success, and, and we all love hearing inspirational stories, it proves to us that we can do hard things, that we can overcome. But I also, you know, sometimes when we just hear all of these stories of people saving the children in Africa and, you know, creating our own nonprofits that sometimes it's just overwhelming that we should be shining through every difficult thing. And that's definitely not what I want to create here. We have a right for those spaces of, of difficulty. But stories like Tabitha's show us that the fear and the anger and the horror and the depression is not a place that we have to say, stay. That there's a choice to shift into brighter spaces. And that choice comes to us along the way and we can either choose it or not choosing it means that you're choosing happiness that you're choosing light that you're choosing reframe that you're choosing finding meaning from the difficult things and that's the space where where you will find the most joy and the most um, reconciliation and the most positive way of living forward and that becomes really really important to happiness for those of you who want other options the option of finding this power, of finding this positive, getting real with your grit. Um, that's what these thats what these stories are about. And sometimes it takes us a space to shift into that. So thanks for joining us today for her story. As I sign off, I want to invite you to um, come to Facebook. We have a closed group now. It's called the Love Your Stories podcast groupies page. And, you know, just submit, ask, ask to join that group. We're going to be doing, creating groups in that community who are doing the 21 day life connection challenge. I've been pushing 21 day challenge, but I realized that it didn't like explain enough of what it was about. So I've changed the name to the life connection, 21 day life connection challenge, and people are wanting to do it in groups. So we're going to coordinate that through this community page. And then you guys can talk about your experiences together and what's going on and also share some of your stories in that closed community. It's, it'll be a little more private, but lots of sharing going on. And we'd love to have you there. I'd love to have everyone who is listening right now, join that community. Um, and if you want to join the next group, that's doing the 21 day life connection challenge together, just send me a message or type it on the page and I'll be in touch with you when the next group is starting. Check it out for more information on loveyourstorypodcast.com. And I'll see you next week for another inspiring story or tool on making your life story fabulous. Mm -hmm.